This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. So just read again the lines written in praise of Tara. The single face of the chief lady is the understanding of all events as a single knowledge. The green colour of her body is power in all faculties. Her two hands are the two truths. Her right hand the conventional truth. Her left hand the ultimate truth. Her wearing of all ornaments is the completion of the stocks of merit and knowledge. Her right hand in the gift-bestowing gesture is the contemplation of the perfection of charity. Her left hand in the protection gesture is the guarding of all beings from fear. Her right leg stretched out is the abandonment of all defects of Mara. Her left leg drawn back is the understanding of all qualities. Her holding of the lotus blossom is the bringing of joy to all beings. Her being 16 years of age is the ability to accomplish the aims of all beings. Her throne of the orb of the moon is the possession of the perfection of wisdom. Her throne of a very coloured lotus is the possession of the essence of compassion. So the two lines we're going to reflect on tonight are her two hands are the two truths, her right hand the conventional truth, her left hand the ultimate truth, and then the second one, her wearing of all ornaments is a completion of the stocks of merit and knowledge. And we're going to do them in reverse order. <laughs> I'll scribble that out. Like you scribble that out. <laughs> so, her wearing of all ornaments is a completion of the stocks of merit and knowledge. So, what this refers to is the, you come across them in Tibetan texts, the two accumulations of merit, punya, and of knowledge, jnana. So um, the the notion there is that in the course of practice, um, or that includes practice of ethics, but of course it also includes meditation, all the other practices we do, that uh, as uh, beings rolling (coughs) around existence, um, from life to life, if that's the perspective you have, or within this life, that we accumulate uh, we accumulate punya and we accumulate jnana. So punya is merit uh, in the sense of when you rejoice in someone's merits. Um, and it's uh, the punya of uh, practising. Well, for example, there's a, there's a, a, a little uh, two or three verses um in the book of gradual sayings, uh, which which gives a very uh, delightful list of um, the punya, the merit that's um, accumulated by practicing metta. Mm. 
the word actually that's, that's translated here is amity uh, loving kindness so uh, uh, the, the section is called advantages and the Buddha is speaking and he says monks 11 advantages are to be looked for from the release of heart by the practice of amity by making amity to grow by making much of it by making amity a vehicle and basis by persisting in it by becoming familiar with it by well establishing it so that list in itself would be good to take on board for any time we sit and do Metta Bhavana making it grow, making much of it making it a vehicle and basis persisting, becoming familiar well establishing it so 11 advantages accrue what are the 11? one sleeps happy and wakes happy he sees no evil dream he is dear to human beings and non-human beings alike the devas guard him fire, poison or sword affect him not quickly he concentrates his mind his complexion is serene he makes an end so he dies without bewilderment and if he has penetrated no further to arahantship he reaches at death the Brahma world so that would be a very auspicious rebirth he hasn't attained insight but hopefully he would have but if he hasn't then he will uh, find a good rebirth and these are the 11 advantages to be looked from from the release of heart by the practice of loving kindness sleeps happy and wakes happy no evil dreams dear to human beings dear to to beings guarded by the devas not affected by danger able to concentrate one's mind quickly with a serene blemishless complexion dying without bewilderment and if nothing more than having an auspicious rebirth so that's uh, (laughs) it's lovely isn't it it's lovely Um, and uh, sorry can I just ask why that's it's from the it's from the Pycana. It's from the the collection of called the Gradual Sayings. Which I can't quite remember what that is in Pali. It's not Samyutta. An 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 That's what it is. So it's uh, from the Book of the Elevens. Um, I'll leave it out, and you can you can have a look at it. But it's very uh, <laughs> it's very lovely. So that's what Punya is. And uh, so in this verse um, of, uh, of Tara, the uh, Nagarjuna's, um, in reflecting on the, on the form, he's reflecting on all her ornaments. So she's, um, she has precious jewels and necklaces and anklets. Um, she's adorned with ornaments. And uh, his, his, uh, one of his associations is that that, rep- that adorning of her body is like how merit adorns a being. And merit brings uh, good fortune uh, to a being, brings beauty and good fortune. And then the second of the the accumulations is jnana. And uh, that's accumulation of knowledge. And it's in the specific sense of the knowledge that you need to be able to take your next steps in practice. 
so I, I, uh, I'm, this is from uh, I remember it's from memory. I haven't actually checked it. Actually, I don't even know where it is, but I know it's from a, uh, one of Bandy's seminars when uh, he said that the best merit is knowing what the next step of your spiritual life needs to be. So the really the best merit, having good fortunate, having material, you know, goods enough to do you and or more, having um, you know having all that's good. It makes for a comfortable life, and and you can you can put it in the service of the Dharma after all. But the best merit is just knowing what you need to do next, what your next step in your spiritual life needs to be. If you if you have the the jnana, the accumulation of jnana, just enough to tell you that, that's the best position to be in. And for the others, material goods and the rest of it are uh, unimportant in comparison, though helpful in themselves. And again, Nagarjuna is just comparing all the ornaments of that Tara wears in her body with the, the accumulation of uh, of jnana. So in her case, it's the um, completion of the stocks of merit and jnana, because she's perfectly enlightened. There isn't, she can't gain any more merit and jnana because she's because she is completely enlightened. I suppose at that point, like us all, you give it away and then you get more. And but anyway, from her point of view, it's probably a thing of the past. Um, not, a, not any anxiety about gaining merit any longer, or knowledge. Um, so her ornaments, her wearing of all ornaments, is a completion of the stocks of merit and knowledge, because her enlightenment is complete. So even in, in, in that, just something to ask yourself, uh, what, uh, do, you, do, do you feel you have enough knowledge, whether it's self-knowledge, because you need that to know what your next spiritual, what your next step needs to be, um, to have a bit of an intuition about that. You need self-knowledge. Um, uh, but perhaps you also, there are, there are other kinds of uh, knowledge that you might need. So just, just reflect on that. Do you know what is it easy to it's fairly straightforward to think yeah I think what I need to do is something simple make sure I go in solitary next year within the next 12 months better to keep it simple isn't it okay. uh, it might be well within the next 12 months I would really not want to get to the end of the next 12 months without having asked a couple of people to be my KMs to be my Kali Mitras. So you'll know, you'll have a sense of what, there's a sense of like a um, momentum that you can pick up on and uh, sort of impetus that you just can sense if something was in place, if this factor was in place, that would maybe free things up a bit and let other things come into being. So just worthwhile reflecting on that. <coughs> okay. So now we'll go back to the previous lines. Her two hands are the two truths. Her right hand, the conventional truth. Her left hand, the ultimate truth. So it's more about wisdom, isn't it? Description of the chief lady of compassionate action. And we're hearing again more about how she embodies wisdom. So that in itself just something to ponder and take on board. Um, I was thinking about this this afternoon. I remembered that this reflected 
this sort of aspect of kind of the embodiment of wisdom and uh, compassionate action reflected my experience of practicing Atara Sadhana in the first few years that I was doing that. And I remember someone said to me, asked me, oh, was doing the Green Tara practice making me more compassionate? And, uh, well, I knew that if I did the Karana Bhavana, I would, could feel compassion. Um, but it didn't make me... Actually, my answer was no. It, that wasn't my actual experience. I mean, I may or may not have been more compassionate, but my actual experience of doing the sadhana wasn't uh, actually one that was connected with compassion. It was one that was connected more with wise reflection. I wouldn't say it was wisdom exactly, but certainly wise reflection. So it was quite... I remember it being quite uh, just intriguing to follow that through and um, what it was was that the effect of doing the practice was prompting me um, well it was it was when I did the practice I became aware of my of what my I'm more aware of what my kind of inner axis of decision making was in my life so to explain that a bit the basis on which I made decisions was often a basis which was an axis of preference personal preference so you know like dislike pleasant unpleasant um, so making decisions on that kind of axis something like you like you make decision to attain it or sustain it or, so it was that it made me aware that uh, a, a lot of the way I'd make decisions was a lot on that kind of axis of um, preference so like and dislike pleasant and unpleasant <laughs> oh <laughs> and uh, that was modified by practicing ethics you know it wasn't just out and out hedonism and I'll have it I want it so I'll have it but it but I did make me more aware that that was that was an under that was the underlying basis and uh, I noticed that doing the practice made me more aware of that and less comfortable with it with that axis of preference and in, also in the course of doing the practice another axis um, offered itself and gradually cl claimed priority um, and that was the axis of not pleasant unpleasant or like dislike but worldly spiritual or worldly unworldly in terms of the translation of the Satipatthana Sutta we, we were um, using last week so there when you're being mindful of feeling you're mindful of feeling in terms of whether it's you know pleasant and unpleasant or you don't quite know something neutral in the middle but then the sutta adds in another another layer of um, uh, looking at that and, and says pleasant can be worldly pleasant and it can be well unworldly but I tend to use the word, the word spiritual rather than unworldly so it can be pleasant worldly but it can be pleasant, or it can be pleasant spiritually, and it can be unpleasant worldly, but it can be unpleasant spiritually. So, so my so my experience of doing the practice was that gradually the the, the axis of you know pleasant, merely pleasant and unpleasant, and uh, became less comfortable. And this other axis, which was putting the emphasis more on the spiritually worldly uh, side of it. Became came more to the fore. Um, so, so when I say spiritual, I mean, was it was this? Um, if I was going to make a decision to do something or not do something or act in some way or other, 
was it was this something that was going to help deepen my going for refuge? That's what I mean by spiritual. Um, or was it likely to distract me from that, which is what I mean by worldly? So yes, yeah, so um, so that's the kind of distinction that's enjoined on us in mindfulness of feeling. Um, and so yes, there are pleasant feelings which I like. Some of them <coughs> are distractions from going for refuge, and some of them are aids to that. Uh, so I was thinking about this afternoon. I think it would be good to come up with some ex- some examples. And uh, I was sitting near my desk. Now on my desk, and I was over in my room in the house. On my desk at the moment, there is a CD, a DVD box, and uh, it arrived in the post last week while the retreat was on and without opening it I knew what was in it mm-hmm. and what it is was two DVDs that a friend had recorded the last and final story of Prime Suspect <laughs> well, can I borrow that one again? <laughs> the, that was you'll have noticed the arisal of a wildly pleasant cra- a follow- quickly followed by craving and clinging experience at the back <laughs> so there it was so I hadn't even un- done it. I knew what it, I kind of knew what it was um, so there's an, that's an example of pleasant and liable to distract <laughs> uh, and uh, an example of I was sort of thinking, okay, what's an example just for me in the mo- this you know live in me this this the retreat is a, an example of um, pleasant and uh, not liable to distract. So I so what came to mind was the joy of walking. So some of you heard me talking about this before, and I've I've I had to, I've had to take myself in hand as regards getting more exercise, and and have rediscovered the joys of just walking. Now walking to me normally means hill walking, but you can't do that here. <laughs> you can, but you can walk, and it's and it's you know pleasant and it's pleasant to do it. So I've I've rediscovered just the joys of you know being in your body, just exercise and walking. Uh, even if it isn't on the level, that's become immaterial. Um, so now, in, in a certain way, I, I wrote this down as an example of pleasant and also helpful, you know, spiritually helpful. I mean, I suppose there might maybe there's a query over that. I mean, I think it is helpful to me at the moment, actually, in in that spiritual way. But I guess it needn't necessarily be that. Um, but it certainly is to for me at the moment. Um, then I was thinking of. Um, unpleasant but still ple- uh, spiritual so one thing that came to mind was just showing up for the next meditation when in anticipation you've gone ah, my back is sore I might be better to lie down uh, maybe I should just go and have a cup of tea you know that, that sort of moment, those sorts of moments when it's not exactly pleasant to anticipate coming back in for another meditation Um you know, so just the just the kind of the moment when you could carry on showing up, but you're not certain yet if you're going to do it. So I had thought of that as um, unpleasant but spiritually helpful. Um, another one that came to mind, though, is say you know when you when you know you've acted unskillfully, and what's and what you're feeling is shame, that isn't pleasant. 
but it definitely is spiritual. So, um, you know, here are Atpa, shame, and, uh, and, and you know you'd be ashamed when your friends find out. That's not pleasant, but it is actually a positive, spiritually, very spiritually positive frame of mind to be in. Um, unpleasant, unpleasant, that leaves unpleasant worldly. So, well, there was Prime Suspect DVDs. And uh, so I was good, you know, I thought, end of the retreat, Karabala. You'll really enjoy it. And you're not, don't even think about it. Just, it's good that they've come. And what happened was I, I got it a little bit anxious that, that maybe, the, maybe they'd been formatted in a way that I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> <laughs> so that was definitely unpleasant and stupid. Pardon? Stupid. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hadn't gone as far as that. <laughs> I was definitely worldly and a distraction. And, and uh, well, I have to confess here, here here's the confession. I'm not sure that it's much, got much sense of um, shame in it, but uh, I did just test them to make sure they were okay. Did you have to test them all the way through? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw the opening scene. I saw the opening scene before the credits came up. So I know it's okay, but it is interesting that I mean I I, I was it was definitely it was just in my mind, and I thought oh maybe you should have done it the wrong way, and I and it wasn't very sensible to test it. It, was, it wasn't a big thing, but actually in a way it could have been that it didn't work. Mm. Now actually that mm. that actually would have been that would have been a bigger thing. <laughs> that would have added that would have added to the unpleasantness and the whole. I mean it just would have given momentum. Yeah. You know, there was a bit mm. of an anxiety. Mm. I mean, a bit silly, really, and it was probably craving. It was a bit of a rationalisation to let's just make sure they work, um, mm. which I followed. And uh, as it turned out, like it was fine, and I uh, and it's gone. But um, still, I started thinking about it just now. But uh, <laughs> but um, actually, if it hadn't been okay, I would just have added to that momentum. It was just a bit of anxiety. I could have just ignored it. Really, could have just uh, put an antidote in, and I. I acted in a way that, as it happened, dissipated it, but might well not have. It might have just added to the whole momentum of distraction and I could have dropped into disappointment and despondency. And then would I have phoned? Or, you know, you know it's, it's where it goes. You go into proliferation and that can lead to action. And uh, from the point of view of me being on an intensive meditation retreat on the theme of mindfulness, this was not helpful. So quite a good example of unpleasant... And definitely uh, worldly. So, um, yeah, so use those categories. The pleasant, um, pleasant and unpleasant does take some, is a knack just to be able to be aware of feeling. And then it just seems like it opens up to a whole realm of practice to add in worldly and spiritual, or, or use worldly and unworldly as, the, as that translation does. So think about that as a, you know, it's just another access to bring in in terms of how you act in your life and how you make decisions and what gets priority and what doesn't. So all of that was uh, all of that was coming out of uh, just remembering my own experience of doing the Tara practice. But to go back to the lines of the verse, you know, it says the two hands are the two truths. So this is a reference to wisdom on a much deeper level than that kind of wise reflection and mindfulness of um, mindfulness of feeling. Um, a much different level than my, you know, change of axis in myself. It's a reference to um, the two truths of the Madhyamaka. 
so there's a, con- there's a conventional truth. So her right hand is a conventional truth. This hand is like that in gesture of giving. And her other hand is in is represents the ultimate truth. So the, the conventional truth is where uh, you're still operating within an arena of self. You haven't passed beyond that arena of self and view of self. Still um, carrying the uh, consequences of that view in terms of self-pride, self-love, self-conceit. Those things are still are so deeply embedded in us that we, we don't uh, dissipate those for you know without considerable effort and uh, subtlety. So the conventional truth is still operating within that arena of self, but within that arena there are right views and wrong views. So if we're practicing from the point of view of conventional truth, and um, following a right view within that, then we, we, we're operating from within the arena of self still, but we're applying conditionality. So when you do that, when you, when you apply the principle of conditionality, you're acting as if you've seen through the view of self. We haven't, but we're acting as if. That's the great benefit of it. So her right hand her right hand represents that conventional truth. So it's when we, we practice as if uh, we'd seen through to the emptiness of our um, uh, self, that there, we, there is indeed no inherent uh, self, fixed self. Of course, there's, there's the ongoing flowing self, empirical self, that is not being denied by any means. But in that realm of uh, conventional truth, we act as if we'd seen through to emptiness by following right view, particularly conditionality. And then the, the, the ultimate truth is where you've had a direct, where, you, where the, uh, there's a direct experience of emptiness. And at that point, um, emptiness and compassion are conjoined, as it were. Um, there's no, there's no um, remnants of uh, a view of self still active. There's a direct experience of conditionality stroke emptiness. I said yesterday they're not different they're really not two Um, and out of that great emptiness and experience of it comes a great compassion or maybe the other way around maybe out of great compassion comes the experience of the realisation of it's empty all things are empty so so it's on that um, depth of realisation that the lines are referring so there's a distinction being made between on the one hand surveying the world and seeing conditionedness of it while still working within this arena and view of inherent self. So within that we can practice, actually practice can go a long way. You can be practicing spotting when you're caught up in the, you know, the pariasas and <coughs> topsy-turvy views, spotting marks of conditioned existence. So there's quite a level of practice in that, but it's still all within the arena of self. So that on the one hand, and on the other hand, having a direct experience of emptiness in the midst of conditionedness. So you see emptiness and purity in the midst of the ordinary uh, reality, you see you experience ultimate reality. So one hand, conventional reality, and it's a hand that's stretched out. It's stretched out to the world, stretched out to beings, the conventional sense of the word beings. The hand is stretched out with generosity.
as if so it's as if beings had inherent existence had inherent fixed existence that she'd be stepping out so the hand would be going out so maybe if the, the whole business about the two truths um, uh, it isn't quite doesn't quite get your interest gets mine but it doesn't quite get your interest. Just go back to it represents there's something but these hands that represent the truth in different ways. And there's one that just steps out, uh, moves out. Well, foot stepping out as well, we'll come to that tomorrow. So it's the hand that's stretched out to beings, represents conventional reality, conventional practice of generosity and compassion. The other hand is held up in the gesture of fearlessness. So this is the one that represents the the ex direct experience of emptiness it's the mudra of well the mudra of fearlessness would be that straightforward one this is a very it's a bit more particular now in that rupa it's it's that isn't it sometimes it's that it's a uh, index it's some second finger that's down so that is a, also a gesture of fearlessness but it's a particular fearlessness that comes from going for refuge it's actually going for refuge mudra an Omar told me a long time ago so it is about fearlessness but it's a fearlessness or the courage even they're not exactly necessarily the same but they're in the same arena that comes from going for refuge and that's the, the other hand it, but it's the hand that's uh, represented being having the experience of emptiness a great mystery a great matter knows what's utterly reliable and from that emanates fearlessness. So, um, yes, yeah, so seeing the emptiness of being saved them. I mentioned that sort of, it's that sort of uh, emphasis that's there again in this, in this hand, in both hands. You see the emptiness of being saved them. And yes, so maybe in this, you just go back to the mudras themselves. And together, the, um, I think it is, it's interesting, if you put them together, you get something like that. Mm. Which actually is kind of like, it's not quite the teaching mudra, but uh, it's kind of like it. And uh, uh, I was a bit of a, uh, I wasn't an immediate um, mm. uh, devotee of Tara when I first came across her. I was a bit of a, took a wee bit, took a wee bit of um, canoodling and her part really to kind of get me in and a bit of wrathfulness actually as I remember as well. And actually I remember stru being struck at one point that when you put those two mudras together you get that and it, that, that's a gesture of receptivity. Mm -hmm. You're kind of ready to receive really, ready to catch something, ready to see, which at a certain point in my spiritual practice meant a great deal actually, just being ready to receive. There's awareness and alertness but you know a readiness to receive. Okay, so we we'll finish there. Tomorrow we go on to yes, more about her the gestures of her hands, but also one foot stretched out and one foot drawn back. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 